This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Here's the question. Listen carefully. Yaakov woke up and he said, Oh my gosh, Hashem is here. I didn't know. I'm scared. Right? Would you go back to sleep? You would never go back to sleep. Are you kidding me? He just had this awesome vision. He's got to meditate. He's got to think about it. He's got to regurgitate it. He's got to figure it out. He's got to go through it. He, he's scared. It's, it's amazing. It's, right? The next Pusik, it says, Vayashkim Yaakov Aboker. And Yaakov got up in the morning. So if he woke up already, what's the Pusik saying? That he got up, he woke, he woke up in the morning. It means he went back to sleep. How could that be? Vayikash Mishnah, so he woke up. He said, wow, this place is unbelievable and it's so scary and it's a base of Lokim. And then a Pusik later it says, and now he woke up in the morning. He woke up in the middle of the night from this dream. He's in this place, like unbelievable. You went back to sleep? Someone who didn't sleep for 14 years? In a dream like that, you're going back to sleep? Or you're going to sit down and start learning? Say, Tikkun uh, Chatzoy, say Tehillim? How could it be that he went back to sleep? I'm sure that it's bothered all the women in this class and whoever's watching this class. You haven't slept probably since third grade when you learned this parsha because you had this question and you didn't have the answer. Well, tonight you can sleep because we're going to give you an unbelievable answer. And the answer is this whole thing. I mean, what, the second question is, what do you mean I did not know that God is here? Every little, go to kindergarten, go to my grandson who's four years old and say, where's Hashem? And it's not singing. Hashem is here. Hashem is everywhere. Right, right, left, up, down, all around. So you're telling me that Yaakov didn't, Yaakov didn't know that? The Pasuk says, I didn't know that Hashem is here. I didn't know that God was here. We learn in school when we're little teeny babies, God is everywhere, in your head, in your food, in your room, in your closet, in your drawer, in your car. God is everywhere. So you tell me Yaakov didn't know that God is everywhere? He had to ask? He had to say, I didn't know? What does this mean? How do you learn this whole thing? What's going on over here? This is a very big lesson. Of course Yaakov knew that God was everywhere. We all know that God is everywhere. This is what Yaakov was saying. Yaakov had a concept that Shemaim is Shemaim and Aretz is Aretz. He was a Tamim Yoshev Ohalim. He sat in Yeshiva all day and learned. He never went out to work. He didn't go into the field. He didn't go hunting. He didn't go planting. Esav was an Ish Sada. The reason that Yitzchak wanted to give Esav the bracha was because he wanted the ultimate. And the ultimate is having the ability to connect the physical world to the spiritual world. To take an apple, which is physical, and make a bracha, which is spiritual, and make that apple spiritual, that is why, that's why we're in this world. We're in this world to take the physical world and make it spiritual. To eat challah on Shabbos, to have the mitzvah of eating shalosh shudas b'shabbos. If you don't eat shalosh shudas, you're over on a mitzvah. What do you mean? I don't want to eat. I want to fast. Be much holier on Shabbos, not to eat. I want to fast. You, you didn't keep Shabbos if you fasted. In fact, if you fast on Shabbos, the punishment is you have to fast again during the week. So the the the, the reason that God gave us the Torah is that we're not Malachim. 
when Moshe Rabbeinu came to get the Torah, the Malachim said to Hashem, don't give him the Torah. They wanted to kill him. And he held on to God, to the Kisei HaKavod, and Hashem said, answer them. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, I, I don't know what to tell them. They want to kill me, but I'm holding on to your Kisei HaKavod. He said, answer them. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, why don't you want me to take the, take the Torah? You don't have a father. You're an angel. You don't have kibbutz of the aim. You, you don't have like sigzol. You shouldn't steal. You don't have, you're not a human being. You can't keep Eruv. You can't keep Tillin. You can't keep Tzitzes. You can't keep our luck is near Shabbos. You're a bunch of angels. The Torah is not for you. The Torah, if you look at it, which is the blueprint of the world, has all the 613 mitzvahs of physical things. We have to connect to the physical. And that's when the Malachim had to let Moshe Rabbeinu take the Torah. The whole Torah is based on that we are connecting the physical body and the physical world. You see lightning, you make a bracha. You hear thunder, you make a bracha. You see the Yamagadli, you make a bracha. You see mountains, you make a bracha. Everything has a bracha or a mitzvah. And, and linen and wool is, is shotness. And everything physically in the world, right? If you have a field, there's, there's leket, there's shikha, there's peya. If you're in business, you can't lend money with interest. It, it's all kinds of halachas if you find something. It doesn't belong to you. It's all, it's all the physical world being connected spiritual world. Yaakov Avinu came from a spiritual world. He was not ever in the physical world. At this point he had just come from Yeshiva. Until then he sat at home and learned. He was never in the physical world. And he's now, Hashem had to teach him that there's a ladder between the physical world and the spiritual world. There's a ladder that connects the two. And it's not just, it, it, it is spiritual, but it's through the physical. Because now he's going to what? He's going to get married. That's physical. And he's going to work. And he's going to have to make money. And he's going to have to go into the physical world. But Yaakov's not going to want to go into the physical world. Because in his mind, going to the physical world is leaving the spiritual world. How could you do that? So Hashem, in this first dream, when he's leaving, and he was going to love, and Hashem had to show him, The top of the ladder is the spirituality, but the bottom of the ladder is the earth. And a whole life, you're going up and down that ladder, up and down that ladder. You're not always going up, and you're not always going down. And that's what he learned. So here he's having a dream. Vayikat Mishnaso, in his dream, he woke up to the understanding that this world, the potential of a person to make a brach. I always think about this. Like after 120 years and you're in the ground, you cannot bless God. That's it. It's over. You cannot say... Baruch Atah Hashem. Now, you can make water, you come out of the bathroom, you're supposed to make a hundred brachas a day. You're supposed to make a hundred, a hundred times you say, blessed are you God. When you leave this world, you cannot, in the next world, you cannot say it even once. So, what Yaakov saw, what an amazing place, go to a wedding, watch a Jewish wedding. It's amazing, it's physical, it's music, it's food, it's dancing, but it's so spiritual. You can connect the two. Hare Atmakudeshes. When you get married, you're getting married to a woman, it's a physical relationship. But what are you saying when you put the ring on? Hare Atmakudeshes, it's a spiritual relationship. You are holy. Not you are mine, you are woman, or whatever the Goyim say, I don't know what they say, whatever. Be my betrothed, whatever. No, it's Harry Atmakudesh says, you are holy, you are spiritual. So 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 everything that we have. So by Yikat's Mishnah, so he woke up from his thinking that 
you're either physical or you're spiritual. And then he said, if that's the case, if this world is connected to the next world, there's so much going on in this world that the potential, there were so many connections of physical things that you can make spiritual. This is a ridiculous place. I thought the house of God was up there. Right? Learning. It's just spiritual. No, this is the base of Elohim. God lives with us in this world. Not in the other world. He's in this world. I'll tell you a story about one of my students. Oh, Vayash came. And then he woke up. He woke up in the morning. The dream was over. Vayash came. But the first, the first waking up, was waking up from his way of thinking. And that's what HaKadosh Baruch wanted to show him. And it's something that we all need to know, that we're all on a ladder. And our trip from the day we're born to the day we die, we go up and down that ladder, we start on the ground, and we end up in Shara Shemat. We end up at the top of the ladder. But life is going up and down the ladder. And you got to get on the ladder. There's so many people, which we'll see in a minute, uh, from Medjish Tanchuma, there's so many people that are scared to get on the ladder. Because they're scared of failure. They're scared of taking a chance. One of the greatest lines I ever heard in my life. Because I'm a person who does take a lot of chances. But in my mind, when I take a chance, it's not a chance. It's like, let's do it. It's not, if you thought, if you, if you think you're not gonna, if you're, if you're a pessimist, you get nowhere in life. To be an optimist, you're not always gonna win. You're gonna fall. But the ladder's still there. Just get back on the ladder. Still there. She doesn't remove the ladder, it's still there. So that was, we we'll see if the measure Khuma, that was that was what you know, so so the, he said the saying is like this. Those who don't take chances failed in taking chances. In other words, if you don't take a chance, then you didn't even you failed to take you, you failed the subject of taking chances because you didn't take a chance. Those who took chances and failed, who took a chance and didn't work. Succeeded in taking chances. You have to uh, think about that for a second. Again, if you took a chance in life and you failed, but in the world of chances, you succeeded. You took a chance. But if you never took the chance, then you already failed in the world of taking chances. As Wayne Gretzky, the greatest hockey player that ever lived, said, and I, don't always, I like to quote Rab Bunnen, but... Wayne, Wayne did say something very brilliant, and I was a big hockey fan, so, you know, whatever he said was like, whoa. But he said something amazing. So this was a skinny guy, Wayne Gretzky, if you, if you look at him, he was a very skinny guy, scored, the guy scored more goals than any other hockey player. So they asked him, what, what's, what about you? Why are you, you know, because when, you, when you're the best, like, what makes you the best? What, what about you that you're able to score all these goals? And he said something brilliant. He said, you miss 100% of the shots you do not take. If you don't shoot it at the goal, it can't go in. He said, I learned early in hockey, just shoot it towards the goal. Shoot it towards the goal. Even if it doesn't make sense, just shoot it. It's going to hit a skate. It's going to hit a stick. It's going to hit a shoulder. It's going to hit a metal bar. It's going to get it to the goal. If you take 100 shots, deflections, you'll get 10 in. But if you know to take a shot... You're never going to get it in. So you miss 100% of the shots you never took. And I live by that. 
Just try, try. Open this, open that, try, try to help, try to help. Can you help everyone? Is everyone going to come out perfect? For sure not. For sure not. But if you don't, if you don't try, then nobody's going to come out at all. So you have to try. So you open a high school, and you open a seminary, and you open a ranch, and you open a rehab in California, and you try, and try to help. And does, does everyone come out of every rehab and every situation and of school? Do I have 100% success at my high school? For sure not. For sure not. Do I have 100% success in anything that I do? For sure not. But I, I have 100% success in taking chances. I'm not scared to take the chance. You have to know that a Baruch was in the top of the ladder. So I gave a very good, um, today I was talking to a therapist and I said to her, so we're saying there's school and there's all these different kids and, and like every kid is different. How could you be able to treat so many different, you know, mental things and all these other things? I'm saying, in my house, there was a surprise, not for, not, we, we, we lent our house to a friend. We were making a surprise, I don't know, what her, probably her 40th birthday, I think maybe. She's listening, she might get insulted. I don't know what birthday it was, but, um, it was a very special birthday, and her husband asked if he could use our basement to surprise her because she'll come to our house thinking she had a meeting with me, and then they're going to surprise her. What was the party that they made? So they have this lady that goes around from a show called Chop. Um, so there's a show called Chop where they give three, two chefs certain ingredients, and from those ingredients, they don't tell you before what you do. You walk into the kitchen, and you got chocolate, uh, vinegar, like the weirdest stuff, a tomato, uh, ginger, all these different ingredients, totally weird ingredients, right? And you have 20 minutes to take those ingredients and make an appetizer, entree, and dessert. And the one that comes up, you have to win, each one gets points, dessert gets points, and the one that gets the most points is the winner, it's a show. So, they did this in my house. So they came to my house before she got there, and they had all these different ingredients, flour, stuff that made no sense together. In other words, it's like, it's like you had flour and you had vinegar, and then you had garlic, right? And then Lowry's garlic salt. Like the weirdest stuff, there's no way, it, it's not a cake, it's not a soup. The ingredients don't make any sense. You have to be very creative. You look at what you have, and you're like, okay, how, what can I make for the main dish with this stuff? And, and, in the show, they come up with the most amazing things. They, they had matzah on one show, they had matzah, this and that, and they came. These, these chefs come up with crazy stuff that's made out of these ingredients that make absolutely no sense, and they don't tell them what's there before. So she went, so they had this whole thing, and she was one of them, and there was someone else, and they were competing, and then the other people that were in my house were, were the judges, and I, I wasn't there for it, I just came at the end, but they had the best time in the world, and I'm thinking to myself, why is life any different? Because, you know, chop is very nice, but I, don't, I go way past that. Like, why is life any different? Hashem gives you different ingredients. Maybe dysfunctional appearance. Maybe you're poor. Maybe your parents are divorced. Maybe all kinds of crazy ingredients. And you're like, like, how am I supposed to make life out of this? Right? This is what you gave me. But it's not like, like, and Hashem says, listen to me. You have 90 years to make appetizer main dish, and dessert. You figure out, to the best of your ability, how to use what's in your kitchen to make life work. That's the ladder. Eulim v'yordimbo.
there are good things and there are bad things. And you're thrown into the chop kitchen and this stuff is like, what? What am I supposed to do with this? And you have to be creative in your life. You have to, now, you can't be creative if you're on your iPhone. You can't be creative if you're watching movies and television. Because to be creative, if you ever watch these people, right, you have to think. And you have to look. And you have to figure. And you have to plan. Well, my dessert's going to be this. So I need these three ingredients. But if I use that for my dessert, I can't use it for my main dish. It, it takes time. It takes work. It takes meditation. It takes sitting at the edge of your bed at night in the quiet and thinking about, so what can I do? What did I do? What am I going to do? And to process that, and your 20 minutes is life, is your whole life. At the end of your life, you come to Shemayim with a dish. Look, Hashem, what I made. From all the dysfunction you gave me, and all the stuff that I went through, I'm coming up here, I'm a superstar. I took all your stuff, and I put it together, and I got an appetizer, an entree, and and, and a dessert, Hashem. I was able to put it together. That's, that's the metaphor of this, of this ladder, which we're going to see that Yaakov Avinu was very scared to do this. So they do this all the time now. They have the show all the time. And they throw these ingredients at these people, strange stuff, and in 20 minutes they got something going on. So why can't we do that in the spiritual world? Why can't we do the same thing? They're able to take ingredients and make, and make a, a beautiful dinner. Why, why can't we, in the spiritual world, in our world, but it takes, Talent and the talent is you have to sit and think about what 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 is my kaiches? What am I good at? I have a good smile. I have a great smile. So I can go to a nursing home. All these people that are and I can go to a hospital and I can sit there and giggle and and my dimples and smile at these old people. They look at me. Oh, you're so cute. I wish I had a daughter like you. And they're smiling. They haven't smiled in 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 in, in fifty years. So yeah, you're cute. You make people laugh. If that's all you have. You're smart. You can tutor kids. What you, but you got to know what ingredients you have. You got to look at your ingredients, and you got to figure out what do you have to offer. And whatever that is, now you got to make your 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 entree and your appetizer and your main dish. And sometimes it's going to work, and sometimes it's going to come out terrible. That's okay. You, you, you're not going to score the goal if you don't shoot at the net. And that's what Yaakov did not. That was something that he. He, he did not know that you could go into that physical world and, and make it, and, and make it to the top of the ladder where Kershbaruch was resting. And that's, that's why he was scared. And he said, Kim, basically, Kim, I thought God was up there. God is here. God's in the kitchen. While you're cooking and you're making your life, he's here. He's in the kitchen with you. So I have this little kid. I, I've told this share, I've told this share, I don't know how many of you were here. This little, so I was, I was a, the assistant principal in Crown Heights Yeshiva and I was a eighth grade Rebbe, but, um, after school, I was never in a rush to go to work. So I love to go downstairs and talk to little kids. I like little kids because, because they say the funniest things because they have no filter. It's like, Rabbi Wallace, I have to tell you something. I'm like, what? My mother took my father's muffin this morning and smashed him in his face. And he said, and she said some really bad stuff. And I'm like, you don't have to tell me everything. I'm like, and then, you know, the next day I see the mother there and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, you don't know what your kid told me. So these kids, they're, they're like, they have no filters. If you, I, you're not allowed to ask them anything because it's like pure Lush and Hara. They tell you everything. Everything that's going on in the house. Everything. My Uchi sister, my Uchi brother, everything's Uchi. Anyway, so I spent a lot of time in first grade. I, I wanted to understand, first of all, the Neshamas are clean. They're pure. They're not, they're not, they're not, you know, in this filthy world yet. 
and they don't have all their filters. So it's like very nice to talk to little kids, especially little Jewish kids. They're, they're neshamalach. So there was one kid, and he was like the schlump, the the the, the little learning disabled, um, very dysfunctional home. His mother was a hoarder. Um, like I used to go into his briefcase. There was. There, were, there was penicillin growing on his bread, on his tuna fish sardine sandwiches, and his his fruit was always like smashed. It was like you managed the whole room smelled from it. It was like you knew right away. And you know he didn't change his clothing. His button was always one off, always one off. His senses were coming out of places they weren't supposed to be coming out of. It was just he was just a mess. And he's learning a little bit learning disabled. And you know uh, one of these kids that's always like cleaning his you know uh, one of those guys. Of course nobody liked him. Because he like smelled and like they said, you know, kids, kids have no filters. You smell. I'm not going near you. You know, you know. We had a kid with a cochlear implant. What's that funny thing in your head? They don't. They don't. You know, we think things, but we we don't say it. They say whatever they they you know. You know, so they say the very bad things sometimes. And people like kids are mean. Kids are not mean. They just don't have a filter. So this kid like nobody had anything to do with. So I'm the kind of guy that if no one has anything to do with, him, that's the guy I like. I like the kid that nobody likes. So we became friends. And um, I came into the class one day, and I was teaching my class about Hashem. Maybe it was even this week's parasha that I'm talking to you about. And I went to the first kid in the first kid in the first row. This kid, teacher put all the way in the corner. He, he didn't smell very good. So um, I asked the first kid, tell me, Mayor, where's Hashem? Where do you think Hashem is? Where does he live? So he says, I've been watching, he lives up there, he lives up there. Okay. I said, on top of the building? On top of the building? No, no, like, I'm silly, like, no, he lives in Shemayim. I'm like, okay. I'm not going to ask him where Shemayim is. Fine. I go through the class. I love it. I love when they answer. It's great. You know, eighth grade, you ask him, where's Hashem? They're asking you, where is Hashem? You know, the, here they're saying where Hashem is. In the eighth grade, they're like, what happens between first and eighth grade? Is like, where is Hashem? Anyway, so I'm going around the class. I get to the middle of the class, and just one kid starts singing. Rabbi Watson, you know the song. I'm like, what song? Hashem is here. Hashem is here. So now every kid that I ask with Hashem, I get a whole song. Right? And come to my little boy. Machayim. Can you tell Rabbi Watson where is Hashem? And he looks at me. And the class is like, yeah, well, Chaim. And he looks at me, and he looks at me. I'm like, Chaim, it's a simple question. It's not a big deal. Where's Hashem? And he says to me, Hashem? Hashem is here. The one kid out of 28 kids, everybody else said Hashem is there. He said, Hashem is here. I was like, the teacher was like, I said, who told you that? Who told you Hashem is here? He said, Nobody. Nobody told you? How do you know Hashem is here? And he looks up at me, no, no filters. And he says, because I feel him here. I never got an answer in my whole life from anyone, because I feel him here. That's how I know, nobody told me, that's how I know he's here. He said, Chaim, you're the only kid in the class that's right. Because really, where's Hashem? Hashem is here. And, of course, I bought him something for saying it, whatever it was, and it was, it was, I was astonished that this kid who's like very dysfunctional and a little slow he knew something they didn't know he knew that Hashem is here I thought about it 
Why? Why didn't he point up? And the answer is that someone who's in pain and someone who nobody likes and someone who feels different has a different relationship with God. You'd think he'd be angry at God, but it's just the other way around. Because we have relations with everyone else, so sometimes we just don't have, we just don't need that relationship. We just don't feel that relationship. But when you're very alone and you feel very different, that's the relationship. And that's, I'm sure that he cried many nights and spoke, he probably spoke to Hashem more in his first few years of being a little boy than I have in all my years in life because he had no one else to talk to. So he understood something that most people don't understand. Loba Shamayim he. Yaakov Avinu saw this in this dream. Yaakov Avinu said, Ki im Earth is the house of God. Not up there. He doesn't live far away in some different world. He lives in the physical world with us. And Yaakov didn't know that he lived in the physical world. He thought Hashem lived in the spiritual world. So we need to do chop. And we need to take our lives and with the ingredients that we have and make the best meal that we could ever make. That's all Hashem wants. He just wants you to try. And part of trying is taking chances. So if you don't ever take a chance, you're not really trying. And even if you fail, you pass the chance test. You got a hundred. Failed what you try to do, but you got a hundred. Alright, so that was one thing. Um, that was one metaphor. Another metaphor today I haven't been talking about. Um, so I went up to the mountains yesterday to my ranch, to the ranch, not my ranch, the ranch, Hashem's ranch. And, um, so we use the ways, you know? So you, you gotta, I was telling the girls today in school that you can't use ways unless you know where you're going. You have to put something in the word where it says destination when you hit menu. To the destination, you have to put something into destination. If you don't put something into destination, there's no ways. Now, it's interesting. Because if you put in the city, and you put in the address, and you put in, of course, the state, sometimes the, the GPS gives you the one thing that's missing automatically because that's the only street in that state with that address so it'll tell you Lakewood right it'll tell you it'll answer where it is sometimes it skips a, it skips a, it skips a point but you gotta plug in the address of where you're going once you plug in the address where you're going so then it maps out the shortest way to get there and how long it's gonna take to get there and all that so plan in life right you have to have a plan my my Hashim my, my Mashkiach Rav Shwabal who was one of the Lamed Vav Sadiqim and, and he, he was my Mashkiach in Beishraga he, he used to tell, always tell me Balishtain that's how about a plan you gotta have a plan you can't just be vild you have to have a plan what do you, what do you, you wanna be a Rebbe you wanna be a businessman whatever that is you have to have a plan if you don't have a plan you don't punch it in you're not going anywhere so you have to have a plan but the interesting thing about GPS and I think that has a lot to do with with the latter is that sometimes there's an accident and there's a delay. And the D- GPS re-evaluates on how you should go and how to get around it. It doesn't say, I give up, we can't get to Woodridge today. There's an accident on the 17. It never says that. That's it. That. You want to go? Right? You put a GPS, it says, eh, Route 17, 45 miles, 
Route Route 17B, you know, and 55 West, and that's how you're going to get there. All of a sudden, there's an accident, so Waze knows that. The satellite knows that, right? So all of a sudden, it says, recalculating, right? Recalculating. You can't take 17 anymore. So now you got to go to this way and that way and this way, and you go around. But it will never say, we're sorry, because there's an accident at Route 17. You park your car. You're not getting there today. It never, ever says that. It says recalculating. What a lesson for us. What a lesson for us. Okay, it didn't work out the way I wanted to. I'm not doing it. I'm not going. I'm not doing it. GPS never says that. It figures out a way how to get there. And sometimes it's not the way that you first thought you were going to get there. you got to go a different way to get there. Sometimes that's the way it is. But it gets you there. So a person has to have a plan. And yes, if there's, a, if there's an accident or something during that plan, a delay, or whatever it is, right? So... You have to sit there and you have to figure out, okay, this is the way I wanted to get to this point A to point B. I can no longer go that way from point A to point B. But that doesn't mean that you don't go to point B. I, I deal with this in rehabs a lot. We'll plan how to go to rehab and then something doesn't work out with the insurance with that. And the kid's like, okay, I'm not going to any rehab. I don't care. I'm finished. I'm done. And they run away and they're gone. I'm like, what? what it, the, that plan didn't work out. So what? That's it? Life's over? Don't give up. We'll try to figure out a different way to do things. So that was my second metaphor. And my third one, which I spoke about last night, which is more than a metaphor, has a lot to do with this parasha over here. So I see a lot in um, in psych wards and rehabs and specifically what we're doing. Yesterday I met a clinical director, maybe to work out, maybe well, I, don't, I don't know if it's going to work out, but she was a Christian. And before I would hire anybody, I wanted to know her view on Judaism and and that, you know, um, so we spoke about the model, the West Coast model, which is which is Utah and California, um, is more religious, especially Utah, that, that the the um, the place that I deal with in Utah, the, the Mormons believe that you cannot heal whether you're a Jew or Muslim, Christian, doesn't matter who you are, you cannot heal without God. So if you don't want if you don't want to talk about God and they're not going they're not taking you in because they don't think they can help you without family and god that they, they won't take you in because they believe very much that you have to have god in your life because we're all part of god and i'm not going to read their scriptures but that's they're very very into that but that's that's west coast therapy i send everyone west coast i will not send anyone to florida or east coast or philadelphia or any of the other places because east coast therapy Believes no God, no family, no religion. It's all oppressive. You have a God you have to listen to. It's bad enough you're having a tough life. Now you got to listen to God, and you got 613 rules. No, they're very liberal, and they believe very much. No family. Get out of your family. Your family did this to you. You got to leave your family. Atheism. A lot of atheism. A lot of liberalism. You know, anything it says in the Torah, we're a bunch of racists and bigots and, and all this, is it's a cult. And oh my gosh, what I have heard is not normal. So I'm very into West Coast. So I was talking to this, um, I was talking to this therapist about, and I said, I, I said, I have to explain to you, she's Christian. I, said, I have to explain to you something to you. I said, there's therapy, there's emotions. There's a physical body. But you need to understand that every single Jewish girl that will come to the ranch or to anything that I do, 
she has a soul. And that soul is part of God. It's not from God. It's part of God. So, when that person is alienated from God and disconnected from God, there is a void in her or him. And a lot of the kids that do drugs and a lot of the kids that are off the derech, I'm not talking about the kids that went through abuse. I'm talking about there was no abuse. Abuse is a whole different situation. Um, they're doing drugs because they're not happy. They're not happy. Believe it or not, it sounds like Rabbi Wallstein is off the wall. They're not happy because they have no connection to God. A brain cell that disconnects from the brain is not a healthy brain cell. If we are part of God, we are part of that brain cell, and we don't want to have anything to do with the brain, then we're not going to be happy. We're going to be missing something. You're not a kidney. You're a brain. So, if we do not introduce a relationship to Hashem, even though psychologically we got them better, and even though we're giving them medicine for whatever reason to lessen the pain when they're doing their hard internal work, you know, in therapy, and they got to bring all that trauma up. It's not easy to do when you when you can feel things. So a lot of the medicines that kids go take is to help them through the pain because no medicine, and I spoke here this past Sunday to 150 therapists, medicine has never cured mental illness. How do you know? Because the minute you go off the medicine, you're back in the mental illness. It's not like you could take a pill, person's bipolar, takes medicine, and then a year later stops the medicine, the bipolar's gone. It doesn't work that way. It helps you be normal going through that situation, but it doesn't heal. No one's going to ever tell you that any of these medicines heal. It's not an antibiotic killing bacteria. So medicines don't heal, but they help you go through it's, it's the same thing when I go to the doctor and he has to do a root canal. You are not touching my nerve if you don't give me a shot of anesthesia. Because if you touch my nerve, I'm going to bite your fingers off. So you have to give me a shot because when I'm in pain, I'm not going to let you to work. So it's the same thing with medicine. you got to give me medicine when I, I'm doing my trauma work and I'm bringing up all these terrible things and it's very painful. I need something to get through. So that's, that's all the psycho you know, medicines, but they don't cure. So the medicine doesn't cure um, psychology. I said to her, but you have to understand that if we don't give them spirituality, not force it down their throat. If they don't come to spirituality, they don't come to be connected. And of course, in the ranch, it's very easy. You're up there in the mountains. You've got 22 acres of rolling land. There's a lake next door. There are, there are horses. You just, you just sit out there. Like If you deny God, then you're just very, very, very disconnected. Because nature is a very big connection to God. And I said to her, I said, but they have to come to some type of relationship because if they don't, there's a void. And you think the void is, I'm not happy, I'm bored. That's what you think it is. It's not what it is. You never sort of Chaim Kainevsky not happy. You think he doesn't, didn't get sick, he lost his wife, she died, right? How come he's not, how, how come he's not happy? I never saw my Rebbe not happy. I never saw Rabbi Gamliel not happy. He's always happy. What do you mean? He doesn't have problems. He doesn't have a panasa. He lost a grandson a few years ago. He, everything's great. He, 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 he takes 30 medicines a day. He has a terrible heart. 
So he's always happy. Why is he happy? There's a lot of money? No. He's got God. Because at the end of the day, the biggest hole in you that needs to be filled is relationship with Hashem. Anyone, in all this form it says, if you see a person walking around depressed, ba'atfus, he's disconnected from Hashem. He's disconnected from Hashem. I will show it to you in a hundred svarim. Atzvus is the is the is comes from the Satan. Because if a person's depressed, he can't be connected to Hashem. So you're never gonna see a Galahadar of Steinman depressed. He sits there and smiles. He's a hundred years old. He he looks like if he gets up, he's just gonna fall into little pieces. He's like, the other of Steinman. He's a happy guy. He's happy. Gedalim are happy. They're happy. Why are they happy? What do they have that you don't have? The void. The main void in a human being is Hashem. He's part of you. And if you're not connected to Him, you're walking around not happy. You think it's, you don't have money. You think, so, so you gotta do drugs because drugs is anesthesia and you don't feel the pain. If you're happy, I don't know any good deal of that do drugs. If Chaim doesn't smoke pot. Why not? Why do they smoke pot? And the answer is, he doesn't need to. He's on a high. Every time he opens the safer, every time he davens, every time he says to heal him, every time he connects to Kush Baruch Hu, he's at the top of the ladder. God's at the top of the ladder. He's on the top of the ladder. He's hanging out with Hashem. He doesn't need drugs. He doesn't need alcohol. I say this. There are girls that are dating. I know I'm going to get, ooh, I'm going to get over the head for saying this. These guys that stand by a wedding and they're drinking and they stand, I was just at a wedding last night, a guy standing outside the hall with the, with the wine glass and they're slushing it around, right? And they think they're cool and they're smoking and they're slushing around the wine. I'm like, that guy is so not happy. He's so not confident. If he needs that to show off to everyone, that's chitonious. My friends, my guy, we, we never did that. Who did, that's, what is that? What is that? What, what, what you, that's chitonious. So you're nothing? So you have a glass of wine to give you support? Nebuch. You're a Nebuch. You are hollow. You are, there's nothing to you. If the Chinese, so a person who's connected to Hashem is going to, sit, is, going to, is going to sit by a wedding and booze himself drunk? He's going to be like, Hashem, my friend got married. Let's dance. It's, it's a whole, I live in that world. It's a, it's a whole different world. I get up in the morning, I come outside, I'm like, God, another day, and I'm here. Blue sky, you painted it for me. I got a little lemongrass, I make my little bracha, and it smells, wow! How can you not be happy? I need to smoke up in the morning. That's what I need. Just the opposite. I tell everyone, if I would smoke pot, it would make me sadder than I am in my natural person. If I would drink, it would make me sadder than I am. I have Hashem. I drink is going to make my head fuzzy. If I'm fuzzy, I'm going to get disconnected from God. If I'm going to get disconnected from God, I'm going all the way back down the ladder. God's at the top of the ladder. What am I going down the ladder for? So that's the void. So I was trying to explain to this woman... Right, Maria, I'm trying to explain to her what what we need to happen in that not that we're gonna force anybody, but yeah, there's gonna be there's the family there, right? She's amazing, she's a therapist, her husband is a survivalist, and they're gonna bake challah Thursday night, and there's gonna be a Shabbos meal upstairs in their apartment. And the girls don't want to go up, we'll have Shabbos and bake challah, and the girls who don't want to, we're not gonna force it. But I can tell you right now that the girls are gonna go up and be connected to Shabbos, are gonna get healthy a hundred times faster than the other ones. Because we're Jews. And we have souls. And that's part of our Kedush Baruch Hu. So I said to her, it's hard for me to explain, 
but I'm going to try to, I said to I'm going to try to explain it to you. And I think this is like the best way to explain it. There were $450,000 Ferrari, red Ferrari, the most expensive one they have. Everyone's talking about, wow, look at this guy, he got to afford it. The girls, it doesn't mean anything, but the guys are like, the guys who are listening to the shit, they're like, Rebbe, you got one? Right? You know, no, I didn't get one. I'm talking about someone who got a Ferrari, parks it in his driveway, gorgeous, everyone in the block is like, wow, zero to 60 in one second. It's a rocket ship. It's every guy's dream, a red Ferrari. And the dope left his lights on a whole night. He comes downstairs in the morning, and he's like, I'm going to go for a ride to the mountains. We'll do like 150 on the I'm good. Right? He gets into his car. He's all excited. Puts the key in. Zero. The radio doesn't even work. Battery's dead. He left the lights on all night. Got a $400,000 car. The wheels themselves are $100,000. The wheels, the spark plugs, the engine. They, they, they put Ferraris together piece by piece. It takes them years. It's, it's, it's the top of the line. He can't even get out of his driveway. He can't even move. He's stuck. His whole Ferrari is worth zero. It's not going to get him anywhere. Zero to 60 in two seconds. It's now zero to 60 in 20 years. Because it ain't moving. At least you push it. The connection to God is the battery, everybody. You could be whatever you want to be. But if you're not connected to Hashem and your battery is dead, so to say, a battery is never dead, by the way. Because when a car, right, what do you do when you have a car doesn't start because you left the lights on all night? So you got to get someone else comes up with my little $500 yeshiva jalopy because we, in yeshiva in my days, nobody had money. So we called it a Kylo car. It cost you between 100 to $500. Each coil guy sold it to the next guy. So they were like 40-year-old cars. And I remember my car to start, I had to open the hood, take a pen, stick it in the carburetor, go back and start it and take the pen out and hope if the pen falls in, fit the car's finished, okay? Don't ask. One, one tire was bald, the other tire was big, the one tire was small. It was, it was, it was a coil, you see your car? It cost me $200 the first one I bought, Okay? And it started, it didn't start, it, it was luck. And here's this guy's Ferrari. Wallstein shows up with a $200 car. And the guy's like, Shalom Aleichem, I need a boost. You got cables? I'm like, yep, I always got cables because my car's always dead. <laughs> How much do cables cost? $12.99. $200 car, cables for $12.99, that's $212.99 is about... To start a $400,000 Ferrari. How could that be? How could that be? Two two seconds. You put those on. Batteries on. You're ready to go. Because the $200 Kylo car has a battery that's working. And therefore, not only is it working for itself, but it has the ability to charge a $400,000 Ferrari. The metaphor that I told her is that a Jewish soul is a battery. And if the battery has no energy in it, 
then the person can't go on. You can give it all the medicine and all the psychology. If the battery doesn't work, the car is dead. But a battery in a car is like a neshama because it's never dead. You can boost it. It was just dead because you left the lights on that night. Give it a boost, and the way the car works with the, with the alternator, it recharges itself. So I said, to her, that's, that's the ranch. That's the ranch. We're bringing in billion-dollar little Jewish girls who left the lights on for too long, and they feel like they can't go on. And we at the ranch, we're going to give them a charge. And we're going to bring them back to who they really are. And that charge is the soul. is spirituality. That's what gets you up the ladder. And that's very, very important. If you feel depressed, and you feel disconnected, and you don't feel happy, don't just look into your emotional world. That's part of it. I'm not going to tell you that it's not what you went through. But also look into your spiritual world. How am I doing? Do I talk to Hashem? Do I dive in? Am I connected? Do I make a bracha? Do I even connect anything in the physical world to the spiritual world? Am I doing any of that? Because that's what's going to charge your battery. And the people that are happy are the people that live with God. I deal with atheists all day long. I deal with people that that are living the To'evus Hashem. They're very not mean, very not not happy people. They're all the people that come to me. They're not. No one walks in smiling. They're they're angry. Oh, the atheists—they're angry. What are you angry about? You don't believe in God? Great. So have a good life. Enjoy yourself. No, because the brain cell is saying, I'm not part of the brain. That's not good. That person inside is not happy. He thinks it's going to make him happy getting rid of God. It's not going to make you happy. Your battery's dead. You're not going anywhere. You think that's just going to make you happy. They're not happy. Like, I never, how come you're not happy? I just had this story with a, 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 a couple. They went off together. They were from the kids. They went off together. Totally footsteps. No one in footsteps is happy. They go, you see these people, they don't come to my office smiling. They're angry. They're mean. They're angry. They're walking, hey, I'm in footsteps. Life's amazing. I love it. They're, they're, they're like, you guys. They can't, they can't watch that you're happy. Why are you happy? Because you have a sham? Because you're part of a cult? No, because I got a battery that's working. You, you need a little bit of a, a boost over there. It's a very important lesson. This is the ladder, the connection. I was trying, and, and she loved it. She said, I hear you. Got to keep those batteries charged every night, like your phone. Got to keep them charged. Got to plug them in. Where do you plug in? Where do you plug in something? Where do you plug in? I always tell one, they ask me, why, do go, why do you go to the coast? So why don't you go to like all the other, Uman, all these other places? I'm a client, so I don't go anywhere. But I was like, I go to the, co- the coast so as much as I can. To, when I'm in actual, every morning. I've never missed my whole life. Every morning, I'm by the Kaisal. We don't, Wallsteins don't leave Yerushalayim overnight. Because Kahanim, when Beis Hamidish was there, so you weren't allowed, if you were the Mishma, you weren't allowed to leave overnight. So my father said, Mashiach comes, I'm going to be in, in Feria? I have to be in Yerushalayim. He lived, my father lived at Mashiach, that Mashiach there every second. So he would never leave Yerushalayim when he's in Israel. He would never sleep outside of Yerushalayim. So I'm like, so like, why do you go to the Kaisal all the time? I'm like, when you look for an outlet, where do you look? In the wall. So I want to plug in. I'm going to the Kaisal. I'm going to look at the wall. But that's where it is. You go to the Kaisal at 3 o'clock in the morning. And you're with Hashem. And your soul is connected. And you're on the top of the ladder. And Hashem says, I need to follow. I'm there. Just come up the ladder. I'm waiting for you. Every girl in here. God's waiting for you. Just come up the ladder. 
on the ladder. Can't go up the ladder unless you get up on the ladder. Okay, we're going to end with this. We're going to end with an unbelievable Medrash Tanchuma. And I had a question on this for my whole life, and it bothered me. And in the schus of preparing Shir, I got my answer. Listen to this. So here's the story. What did he see in his dream? Who was going up and down this ladder? It's going to take two minutes. Hashem showed on the ladder an angel that was the guardian angel of the Babylonians. How many years were we under their gullus? Anyone here know? 70 years. So he saw them go up 70 steps, right? And then they were destroyed, and Hashem threw them off the ladder after 70 steps. Okay. Then came the Persian. Persian Empire went up more steps because they were longer, and Hashem threw them off. Then came the Greeks coming up Hanukkah. They were there, I think it was 200, maybe more than 200 years. And Hashem, they went up 200 steps, Hashem threw them off. Then came Edom, the Roman Empire. Hashem threw them up. Okay. Okay, Yaakov, get on the ladder. Well, these guys are off the ladder, now it's your turn. How come you're not going up the ladder? Yaakov became very scared. And he said, you know why I'm not getting on the ladder? In his dream. Why am I not getting on the ladder? I saw you throw them off the ladder. Just like they fell down. You're going to throw me down. Ah, Here's what he said. I'm not willing to take chances. I don't, I'm scared to lose. I don't want to lose. So if you're going to throw me off the ladder, I am not going to even start. And that's a very not good thing, said Hashem. Listen to me. If you get on the ladder, I promise you, I will not throw you off the ladder. You will not go down. Just get on the ladder. And I never understood this medrash. Says the medrash, Yaakov didn't believe Hashem. He didn't get on the ladder. What? What do you mean he didn't believe Hashem? Hashem comes to me and says, listen, Wallstein, get on the ladder. I'm like, you know, I'm scared of ladders. I promise you, I'm God, you will not fall off the ladder. No, God, I don't believe you. I'm not getting on the ladder. How could Yaakov Avinu, he's bothered me for years. I know this message for a long time. How could be a Yaakov Avinu said to Hashem, I don't trust you. I'm not getting on the ladder. And Hashem punished him. Hashem said, really? So Hashem said, I'm like, if you would have gone on the ladder and you would have, you would have believed in me, Christ, the Jewish nation would never had, would have never had Spanish Inquisition, would have never had a Holocaust, would have never, the Spanish would have never been destroyed. Had you gone on the ladder, you would have never gone down the ladder. And therefore, since you didn't go on the ladder, I'm punishing you, that all those other four angels that got thrown off the ladder, the Persians, the Romans, the Greeks, and the Babylonians, you, the Jews, will be under there, you'll be subservient to them, and they're gullus. That was his punishment for not getting on the ladder. But as M says, in the end, I still promise you, you'll be the only one standing, and Mashiach will come, and you'll be the only one standing. How does anyone in this room understand this? How could Yaakov Avinu tell Hashem, I don't believe you? So I saw an answer, beautifully. He brings an answer, and the answer is as follows. That's not what he said. He said to Hashem like this, why did you throw these guys off? Why did you throw the Babylonians off? Because they became Risham. They became very bad. The Romans, the Greeks. So they all became bad and you threw them off. He said, you believe in me, Hashem, you believe in me that I will never do bad. You believe in the Jewish nation that they will never do bad. So you're saying, I will never have to throw you off because you guys are good guys. 
Yaakov was a big onov. And Yaakov said, Hashem, you don't know me. And you don't know Klaistral. One day we're going to sin. And when we sin, all those other angels are going to say, one second, we sinned, you threw us off the ladder. They sinned, why aren't you throwing them off the ladder? And you'd have to be MS, you'd have to be fair. And the end, you're going to have to throw us off the ladder. So I appreciate Hashem that you believe in us that we're never going to do bad. We're not that good. And therefore, you're going to be put into a situation where we're going to do our very best, and then you're going to have to throw us off the ladder. That was what Yaakov was saying. Yaakov was saying, I don't believe you. Yaakov was saying, I don't believe me. We don't believe in ourselves that we're going to be tzaddik and we're going to be like that. Because Baruch Hu said a very big lesson. If I tell you that I believe in you, then you have to get on the ladder. You have to get on the ladder of life. You have to take the chance. If you fail to take the chance, in the end, you're going to pay a much bigger price. You didn't want to get on the ladder because you thought you were going to fall. Because you didn't get on the ladder, now you're under all four of them. You didn't want to take a chance, you're going to pay a much bigger price than if you would have gotten on the ladder. But Yira Yaakov, Yaakov was scared. He was scared to take this chance. Because Baruch Hu said, if I tell you in the end, if I tell you you're not going to get thrown off, don't worry about what they're going to say. Now you need to worry about what they're going to say because now you're going to end up being under their, under their malchus. So now it's an unbelievable Medjish It's telling us, at the end of the day, even if you're going to go up or down, it's still better than never getting on the ladder. You need to get on the ladder. What does that mean? You're going to go tonight and get on the ladder? It means that you need to get back into life. And you need to get back into life, and you need to take chances. We're talking about good chances, not, not to do bad things, but to do good things. And Akash Baruch is on top of the ladder. And you have nothing to worry about. He's on top of the ladder. Your ladder, whether you're going up or down, is leaning on him anyway. So if you're leaning him on anyway, then trust him. And that was the lesson of this week's parsha in Parsha's say, Don't let your battery die. Because if you're not connected to Hashem, then all the other things that happen in your life, which is depression and anxiety and a lot of other things, there's a connection missing. There's a void. And we don't, we can't fix that void because guess what? Getting drunk and smoking weed and, and doing drugs and all the addictions that exist, anyone will tell you. What we had here Sunday was a whole thing on addiction. I spoke. At the end of the day, it doesn't make you happy. There's no addiction that makes you happy. You're actually a slave. Slaves are not happy. I have to take a drink. I have to do the drugs. I have to gamble. You're a slave. It's not freedom. Freedom is the opposite. Freedom is the ability to say, we're taught in America, what's freedom? You can, you can do whatever you want. Nike, right? Everyone wants to get Nike sneakers. Just do it. Just do it. It's a party. The only word a slave can't say is what? No. What's the only word a slave can't say? No. no. Freedom is the ability to say no. A slave has to say all day long, Yes, master. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, 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 yes. All day long, yes. We are brought up, we are brought up that freedom is yes. You can do whatever you want. No, that's not freedom. Freedom is the ability to say no. A slave can never say no. We have that freedom. And when it comes to doing the wrong thing, we have the kayach to say no. When we all be zaycheh, because the ladder was actually in the base of Kim. By the way, when he woke up and he said, what an unbelievable place this is. This is the house of God. He called the place what? Bethel, that's where my ranch is. It's in Bethel. There's a ladder going up and down. But when he woke up, 
He said, Ki in because at the same place that he slept was where the base Hamigdash was, and the same place where he slept, that's where the third base Hamigdash is going to be. Ki in We will be this week, tomorrow, today, tonight, to go back to, to go back to the mountain to see the base Hamigdash. Don't be scared to take the shot. You never know. Just might go in. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.